Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. After two decades in the corporate world, helping companies build purpose-driven brands and become more innovative, Gustavo Rossetti was hungry for something more impactful. He realized that most organizations don't lack ideas, they lack a conducive culture. Hence, Gustavo created the Culture Design Canvas to help his clients design future-proof teams and organizations. Today, Gustavo helps leaders map, assess, and design their workplace culture. And he has a culture design firm which provides training, culture assessment, and consulting services to help leaders and coaches build more human, agile, and innovative organizations. And if that was not enough, he is also an avid writer and contributor to Psychology Today, Forbes, Thrive Global, Medium, and many, many more magazines. Gustavo, thank you for joining us today on Be Brave at Work. Thank you, Ed. Glad to be here. Super excited about our conversation and where it's going to take us. Well, we're going to talk, I hope, a little bit about bravery in the workplace. But before we get there, I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit more from you about kind of how you got to where you're doing today and what it is that you and your organization does in the marketplace. Absolutely. I created my own firm like a little bit over five years ago. And as you mentioned, basically, I realized after working with companies in the innovation side and the creativity side, that companies don't lack ideas. Actually, they have more ideas that they can digest or bring to life. The problem that they have is that their own system, the culture, is not ready to bring those ideas to life. So people talk, we need to be innovative, we need to be innovative. But then when it comes to basically make decisions, to take risks, they panic and they go back to normal. So what we do is helping organizations build a culture that's open to new ideas, to innovation, that's safe for people to experiment and to adapt to the changing environment. Well, it sounds fantastic. And I can tell you from my own personal experiences, both working in corporate America and being on nonprofit boards, we always had more ideas than people or resources or time. Everybody wanted to do something, but you know, we uh, couldn't do it all, right? And we had to remind people that, especially on the nonprofit boards, that we were volunteer, part-time, and we just can't do everything that people would love to do. So culture, 
and especially when it comes to bravery at work, is super important. And we talk a little bit about uh, on this podcast the importance of having a bravery culture, right, where you're kind of supporting and creating the likelihood that people will say something to a colleague or do something to in the organization that is helpful. So I think we would love to hear a little bit more from you on you know what is a culture and you use the term conducive culture you know what what is that and how does it have a positive impact on a organization an entity etc culture is basically what helps people do their best work that's for me the most important thing and we can talk about different definitions but in the end it has to do with the emotions the behaviors and the mindsets that affect how people work I use the anal- I use many analogies, but one is like it's like the engine of your company. If you're driving a car and the engine is doing great, you can go at the speed you want, you can go in the direction you want, you can get on time even faster, and you don't care about it. But the moment it's broken, not only you don't get to achieve your destination, your your goals, but actually you start worrying about things that you don't know how it works. Because how who knows? I mean, very people, very few people know how to fix. An engine, especially modern ones. No, so the point about culture is: Are we creating an environment that helps people do their best work, to be collaborative, to take risks, to innovate, or are we creating a fearful? Now, our company calls fearless culture. It's not about removing fear because fear it's a pervasive emotion. It's a signal. Fear it's sometimes good because it, it's an alert that something's about to happen. The point about being fearless is how can we confront our fears and act despite having fear? Now, for example, the Navy SEALs said that if you miss to pay attention to fear, you're dead. Because fear is that emotion, that signal that, hey, you need to be in a state of alert, you need to watch out because someone can attack you. But on the other hand, if you become too fearful and you get paralyzed, then that emotion gets in the way. And that happens a lot at a leadership level, not just at an employee level. Well, you mentioned a couple of things, Gustavo, that I'd like to chat about for a few minutes. And one of them is just your experience with the existence of culture. So I have many clients and you know many of them work in environments where there is no defined or clarified or communicated culture. They just do what they do and there aren't any guideposts or milestones to help them. So what has been your experience with the existence of culture in organizations? Is it there explicitly in most organizations or is it something we're trying to catch up on because we haven't defined and clarified it for our people? It's a fantastic question. I think that we confuse codifying the culture with if we have a culture. Any company has a culture, like families, no? Even if you never sit down with your children and spouses to talk about, hey, how do we want to behave as a family? There are rules that guide that collective behavior. So even startups, we have fast growth startups or even Fortune 500 companies that reach out and say, hey, we want to work. We don't have a culture. I say, yeah, there's a culture. What first we need to do is to uncover it. We need to map it. We need to talk with teams we have a tool that's the culture design canvas that we use to help facilitate conversations. No, it goes beyond purpose and values. There are also what are we rewarding as an organization? What are we punishing? What are our priorities? How do we make decisions? How do we build and promote psychological safety? So we try to unpack basically the existing culture and then codified. And moving forward, we need to work on what do we want to keep? What of those behaviors, the way we make decisions, the way we manage meetings, do we want to continue doing? 
one of the things that we definitely not want to continue having and what are the new t- the mindsets and behaviors that we want to add to the culture. Well, I completely agree that almost all entities have a culture, families have a culture, organizations have a culture. Some feel as though those cultures, especially in organizations, are by design where we have collected employee feedback and said, this is who we are, this is how we want to be seen, this is how we want to interact with each other, and just here's some guidelines or ways we do it. Others are by default, right, where we never did any of that, and people say, well, what's it like to work there? And you get all sorts of different answers, et cetera. Do you work with companies to create a culture by design, or you know, what is it that you do in respect to culture definition. Absolutely. That's what we, we, my role, besides being the CEO, my role and my team's role, basically, we're culture designers. And we do also a lot of training, certifying people to become a culture designer. So some people think that when you talk about culture design, it feels like, oh, you cannot control culture. Design is not about controlling. The same way we apply, apply design to packaging, to uh, products, to a, a customer experience, we use the same principles of human-centered design to design the right culture for a company in particular. The only difference is that in this case, the users are the employees, not just the CEO. We don't design a culture that it's great for the CEO or the HR department. We design the culture that's best for the entire company. Well, I just think it's so ironic that culture, at least from my perspective, and I presume from your perspective, is so important, right? It helps answer the question, what is it like to work here? And if you have a defined culture, you can say, well, this is how we operate here. It may not be what everyone likes or everyone agrees with, but this is how we have decided we want to work here. And yet so many companies don't have a culture. And, you know, I'm just curious. I know you're not a psychologist or sociologist, but, you know, why is it that people have avoided creating purposefully a culture in their organizations? On one hand, there's this discourse that, well, culture happens organically. And yes, it happens organically, but within certain parameters. Like, let's take the culture of a city as an analogy. So if you're the major, you need to put certain guardrails. Now, for example, is this going to be a two-way street? Uh, What's the speed allowed in that street? Where is there going to be a stop sign or a traffic light, whatever, so people don't get into an accident? But then when it comes to which car people drive, which color, which music they listen to, or if they prefer to walk or ride a bike like I like to do, well, that's on them. So that combination between design and, and organic behavior is the result of uh, how culture gets created. The point is, it's very hard. It's very hard to define things because then you have to go through the, through the work when you're a leader. Like it's not only about defining the culture, but also modeling. So you need to say no many times. You need to stick to what you agreed on. You need to stay consistent with your purpose and values. And that's the part that's not so easy. So many leaders want to say, well, you know what? Let's keep it wishy-washy. And that's more important. Many people say that culture, it's a strategy for breakfast, which I hate the, the, the because I think that we need both. So when having a great culture but lacking a strategy, you're going to go nowhere. My point is people use that uh, phrase all the time. But then when I ask them, well, what do you mean by culture? Well, you know, cult-, so they don't even know what they're talking about. But because it looks good. So they don't want to spend time because it's hard, because it gets you in tough conversations. It gets into and un- cover the gaps between what you think your culture is 
and what your employees actually experience, which is really always different. Right. And, you know, maybe it is just corporate laziness. You know, I'm not sure what the right term is. Maybe there's not shareholders demanding the creation of a culture, but I'm always surprised by the number of organizations, even successful organizations that don't have a defined culture. And I don't mean, you know, every T is crossed and every I is dotted type, you know, analytics, but just a general answer to this question, you know, what is it like to work there? And so, Gustavo, I'd love to play a game with you for a minute and ask if a listener is interested in creating a culture that supports bravery. So it's not their whole culture is bravery, right? But of many aspects of it, one of them is we want to create an environment where people are very comfortable saying what they need to say to each other to help or doing things that may need to get done, even though it may feel painful, but knowing it's honoring what we need to do. You know, what are some tips or ideas that you might provide listeners on how to begin to build a culture that honors bravery. And you mentioned one thing before, which is role modeling, which I think is super important. But what else? What other things can people do to start integrating a culture that includes bravery? Absolutely. I think one of the critical elements is psychological safety. No? And the point with psychological safety, everyone keeps throwing it like a growth mindset, like an easy fix. But then what do we talk what do we, what do we mean by it? There are three levels of psychological safety that I describe in my book. One is making people feel welcome. So if you as a human being with your personality, your preferences, your choices, don't feel welcome in a workplace, you're not going to be able to move and give your best. You're going to basically self-censor. You're going to keep your talents, your ideas, your skills to yourself. The second level, it's about having courageous conversations. So how can we promote a space in which people can ask questions, ask for help, can challenge the status quo, can think differently, and that's welcome. And the third level is when we feel safe to innovate, so to take risks, to experiment, to try new ways of doing things. The problem with most companies is they feel that they want to jump into the, hey, let's start taking risks, let's celebrate mistakes, but they haven't covered the other elements. So if you don't feel, once again, accepted or welcome as a human being, you're <laughs> making mistakes or taking risks is not even there for you. So there are many ways to, to work on the personal level. I think that getting to know team members at a personal level is important. Let me clarify this. I'm not thinking that we need to become friends with our coworkers, but we need to know more about who they are as individuals. So, for example, we do an activity that it's kind of the washing instructions. The same way that your clothes come with a label that says, hey, dry cleaning, no ironing, whatever. The same people have different ways they want to be treated. So rather than trying to treat everyone like we want to be treated, because that's a, a wrong assumption, we need to start working as a team. Let's each other share what are our washing instructions? How do we want to be treated by others? So for example, some people like to interact in larger space and people are more shy. They don't want to ask questions. They prefer to write. They prefer to take their time before. They prefer to operate in smaller teams. So some people don't like to work or have meetings in the morning. Other people like to work at late at night because that's their night owls. So getting those preferences is a great easy step to start to getting your team uh, better. Well, when you look at the look at the three parts you just mentioned, Gustavo, the first being welcome and ensuring that 
people are welcome to the team, to the organization, and feel comfortable sharing what they need to say without a feeling of judgment or belittlement or whatever that might be. The second is courageous conversations. And what's the third bullet again? It's about innovation. So when you are able to take risk, experiment, the creative side. Right. And so just something, and going back just for our listeners, something like welcome, right? I mean, this is such a basic activity that we have in our world, whether you have a new neighbor that you want to welcome or a new family member that you welcome, right? We welcome change and innovation all the time. And yet we don't always seem to do this great at organizations. Some organizations have really deep and engaging new higher orientation programs. So people feel welcomed and meet the right people and know where the restrooms are. And others, you walk in and here's your desk, have a great day. And you're not feeling welcome, right, to the organization. So, you know, that seems like such a critical piece to ensuring people feel comfortable under that psychological safety model of saying what they need to say and doing what they need to do. Absolutely. And I think that you mentioned something like foundational, basically, which is, okay, we need to make sure that the first experience with the company, it's friendly and welcoming. But I think that we need to go beyond showing people where the bathroom is and giving them the employee handbook and the, the basic stuff. It's also about being intentional how we can build connections. So in the hybrid and, and remote workplace, we need to be even more intentional about creating those immersion experiences. So many companies have like the, like uh, bodies that they pair with new employees. So these people can get to know other. So they have, for example, one is the culture body and that person is going to walk you through how we do things here, what the culture is, but also it's going to make sure that you are going to meet five people and have either in person or virtual coffee with them. And those five people actually going to then connect you with another five other people. This happens at Buffer, for example. And in that way, not only you get familiarized with people, but also they connect you with people that has to do with your interest, your personality, the sports that you like, the role that you're going to play. Then there's a second body that you're paired with that in that case is more related to your role. So if you're going to be a coder, uh uh, customer service rep, you're going to work on sales or marketing, they pair you with someone that's going to help you navigate the, 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 the culture, understand processes, the tools that you need, who's who, and that stuff that's more functional and applies to your role. Well, I love the expansion on the welcome component of the model. And it's not just a one-time welcome where it's their first day in the job and you say, hey, welcome and have a nice life, right? But then you want to transition to a relationship where you're building a relationship. We have always felt on the podcast that having a positive relationship with someone, not a best friend, but just feeling respectful and professional with them creates opportunities for you to be brave and say what needs to be done because you have a relationship and it's not just somebody you saw on their first day and have never seen again. So you've mentioned a couple of times, Gustavo, your book. I'd love to give you a minute to tell us the title and what people can expect when they dive into it. Absolutely. So the title of my recent book is Remote, Not Distant, and basically present a roadmap to design a culture to thrive in this new hybrid workplace. The point is most companies are struggling with how the new future of work is going to look like, and many are jumping into an easy fix, you know, thinking, oh, maybe we need to work three days at the office, two days from home, and that's not hybrid. 
how it's about being more mindful and rethink how we want to work, not only where from, but also when and how. So it's about flexibility to give the teams the ability to choose how they want to produce their best work, but also be more intentional and disciplined into how we manage meetings, how we collaborate. You know, if people are working different scales, how we find time together to, to, to meet and also how we document everything to make sure that we don't lose how we make decisions or things that we discuss in previous kind of uh, meetings. Well, that sounds fantastic as a content topic because I think a lot of people would say right now that I have a hybrid schedule. And the first thing they would mention is, which means I work in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I'm home Mondays and Fridays, right? And I think you're suggesting it goes way beyond that, that if you are a hybrid employee, there are all levels of relationship and work activities and things that you need to know and be aware of in order to be super effective. So, Gustavo, thank you so much for your time today and your thoughts and observations about culture, which is a must-have in respect to being brave at work. If you do not work in a culture where bravery is okay, it will never exist. If you do work in a culture where especially senior leadership is creating a place for you to be brave without a feeling of reprimand or judgment or belittlement, your likelihood for being braver will be successful. So, Gustavo, if folks want to get in touch with you to find out more about your book or the work you're doing, how can they contact you? Well, they can go to our company website, which is fearlessculture.design, or they can look for me on LinkedIn. Luckily, there are not many, I don't know if there are many, Gustavo Rossetti on LinkedIn. I'm very active <laughs> there. Isn't. There isn't. I found you, and, I found and you can, very easily. Yeah. <laughs> and they can check out, publish a lot of content there, so they can check it out as well. Fantastic. Well, Gustavo, thank you once again for being a guest on Be Brave at Work. Thank you, Ed, for inviting me, and thank you for continuing spreading the word and creating a brave workplaces. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today, and we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.